0: Awesome, thank y'all. All right, so um, I know we've got some guests here. We've got some of you maybe that haven't been this semester, which is, which is cool. We're glad that you're here. We have been going through the book of Acts together in a series that we have called Becoming the Church. And essentially, what we've been talking about is the first church. Not the first church building necessarily, but um, the church really begins for the very first time in the book of Acts Um, Jesus um, has um, been crucified. He's been resurrected. That's what we're going to celebrate over the next several weeks um, as we uh, have Palm Sunday uh, coming up, not this Sunday, but the next Sunday, and then uh, Resurrection Sunday, or what we call Easter, um, the next week. And we celebrate the, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And in Acts chapter 1, we see Jesus ascend back into heaven, and he gives this command to the disciples that remain Uh, that they are going to be his witnesses, or they are going to tell other people the story, the message, and the hope of Jesus Christ. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, and he says, When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, Jesus leaves the Holy Spirit in his place as he ascends into heaven, and the Holy Spirit simply gives power to those who believe in Jesus. And so they are now to go out to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the very ends of the earth with the message of the hope of Jesus Christ, which is found only in the gospel. And so they've been charged to do that. And in doing so, as his followers go out, as they bear witness to what they have seen and what they have heard, people begin to believe and trust in Jesus Christ. And uh, a collection of believers becomes what we would call the church. The Greek word is ecclesia, and it simply means a gathering of those who believe. And so that's, that's what happens here in the first century. So by the time we get to Acts chapter 15, we're roughly 12 to 15 years after Jesus's Resurrection, his his crucifixion and resurrection, and, and so people, um, some have seen and actually heard Jesus before, uh, but there are others by this time that are hearing about Jesus, even though they weren't um, present when Jesus lived, when he died, or when he uh, was resurrected. And so, in Acts chapter fifteen, we pick up and we see um, some of our, our guys that we are already familiar with, Paul and Barnabas. We're going to see Peter and others who have been out preaching and teaching, proclaiming the name of Jesus Christ um, to both Jews, who are God's chosen people in the Old Testament, okay? Uh, Citizens of the nation of Israel, um, the people that were brought up out of captivity um, in Egypt, Uh, They were delivered from Pharaoh through the wilderness for 40 years, given the promised land. Uh, They suffered exile uh, under Babylon, under the Medo-Persian empire. Um, If you're familiar with Daniel in the lion's den, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the fiery furnace, God delivers them through that. And God has delivered them um, by uh, giving them Abraham and giving them Isaac and giving them Jacob and giving them King David. Um, And all of these, uh, this is the story of the nation of Israel. And so Paul and Barnabas and and, uh, all these guys are out proclaiming uh, Christ and him crucified to Jews, but also to what were called Gentiles, those who are non-Jews, those who are not part of the first covenant of the Old Testament. Because Jesus has said that that the gospel, the hope of Jesus Christ is now open to all people, not just Jews, but Gentiles as well. Um, And so Jew and Gentile covers everyone, okay? Because you're either a Jew or you're everyone else. And so The gospel has now made its way um, to all peoples. And so that's where we are in chapter 15. We pick up where some of the Jewish leaders begin to have a little bit of an issue. So if you're taking notes, I know like two and a half of you probably do that. And so if you're taking notes, uh, I haven't given you one of these in a while, but a key truth uh, for tonight, a key truth is that within the church, grace is essential and unity must always be a priority. Within the church... Grace is essential. What does essential mean? Necessary, Necessary, right? Okay, all right. Grace is essential, and unity must always be a priority, okay? Grace is necessary or essential, and unity must always be a priority. And that hopefully will make sense in just a second as we see where grace and unity meet together. Chapter 15 of Acts. It should... uh, up on the screen for you, Acts 15 verse 1. It says, but some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Okay. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria. What's significant about Phoenicia? Anybody know anything about Phoenicia? The Phoenicians? What do we have? What do we have that they gave us? Writing. Right, the alphabet. Okay, the alphabet that we use is the Phoenician alphabet. And so, yes, all of you write in English using the English alphabet, but it was taken from the Phoenicians. The Phoenicians developed an alphabet because they were traders, and they needed a way to communicate with all kinds of different languages, okay? uh, people with different linguistic styles. And so they created one common universal alphabet that could be transposed into different languages okay super smart dudes and girls people women they were all amazing all right sorry forgot it was 2019 my bad um anyway just that was a joke um anyway so being sent on their way this is verse 3 being sent on their way by the church they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles And brought great joy to all the brothers. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, It is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. All right, so this is where we get what I would call the problem. Okay, so if you're taking notes, there's a problem. All right, key truth, hang on to that for just a second, but there's this problem that arises. And the problem is, that Paul and Barnabas and others are out preaching and teaching about the hope and the salvation of Jesus Christ, his life, his death, and his resurrection. And there are people, literally by the thousands, that are coming to know Jesus. They are forsaking their own lives to follow and trust in Jesus, and they have been given new life, okay, both a new life on earth and new life in eternity because of their belief, right? That's great. That's amazing. In fact, they even say that when Paul and Barnabas went to, uh, to hang out with their Jewish brothers in Christ, that uh, the people rejoiced. They were full of joy over this, okay? Right? Who isn't excited when someone comes to know Jesus, right? We're all very excited about that. But then the problem is that these Jewish brothers, a lot of them, okay, members of the party of the Pharisees, okay, very strict um, legalists, okay, they say, well, that's great, Paul. That's great, Barnabas. Glad you shared the message of Jesus with the Gentile guys, but here's what's got to happen now. We've got to circumcise them, all right? Now, uh, I'm, uh, we had this conversation in God's Bible study the other day, not about circumcision, um, although that is, I guess, a place to have a conversation about it, um, but we had this conversation uh, about me not taking anything for granted, okay? So I'm going to assume that there is at least one person in here That although they may pretend, they don't know what it means to be circumcised, all right? Do we know what it means to be circumcised? Just shake your head yes if you do know, all right? Don't shake your head no if you don't, okay? I got a few uh, head shakes no, so either you want to embarrass me to make me explain it or you really don't know, okay? Circumcision is the the sign of the first covenant. It's an agreement between God and the Jews, okay, um, that they are in covenant with one another, okay? All right? And so super awkward, real quick uh, explanation is there is a part of the male anatomy, foreskin, that is snipped off very early on, usually, uh, oh, yeah, all right, yeah, all the girls are like, whatever, all the dudes are like, oh, okay, all right, all right, okay, with just after the first week after they're born, okay, so this happens very early on in Jewish culture, okay, Um, it it still happens today in a lot of modern societies, okay, uh, where this takes place, okay, Alright, so just know ladies one day if you have a little boy It's, it's probably going to happen to him Okay, so just know that going in Alright, so this is This is the sign though, it's the seal Why God chose this as the sign I don't know, he's God, he gets to do stuff like that Like maybe I would have been like uh, I don't know, um, maybe like uh, One less finger or um, Like uh, longer earlobes Or just a, uh, a mole Placed on the arm or something, I don't know Could have been anything, but this is, this is how God Does this, okay it's how he chooses to do it. So now, okay, just track with me for just a second, okay? These Jewish leaders, okay, teachers, who are also believers in Christ, okay, because they're referred to as brothers here, brothers in Christ, they're now saying, hey, great that you came to know Jesus. We're all for that. But to make it official, we're going to have to circumcise you, Okay. So some these dudes may be like 30, 40, 60, 70 years old, okay? Not part of their culture. They weren't, they weren't joined in this first covenant with the Jews. And so there's never been any need for this to happen to them. And so suddenly, these guys are saying, hey, cool that you came to know Jesus. We'll even baptize you. But after you get out of the bab- uh, baptistry waters, we're going to have to do a little snippage, okay? That's what's going to have to happen, all right? Why did I say it like that? Because... I'm trying to give you the point here, all right? Right? I mean, that's just what has to happen, all right? Just so we're all on the same page, that's what they're asking of these guys. And look, I I say that because hopefully you understand how ridiculous this is. That's really the point is that it's not like they're saying, hey, you need to begin to, uh, you know, they're going to get to this in a second. They're not going to say, oh, you need to not eat what we don't eat. They're going to get to that because they're going to add that in, too. But what they're going to say, first and foremost, you need to become Jewish. You can't become Jewish ethnically, right? But you can certainly become Jewish by law and by practice and by custom and by culture. And what they're demanding here is Jesus plus something else, when the truth of the gospel is it's just Jesus. Jesus is the hope of the gospel. Jesus is who takes away sin. Jesus is the one who died in our place for our sins. Jesus is the source of atonement. Jesus is the source of grace. Jesus is hope. But these guys say, hey, you got Jesus, but you got to add on this other thing. Then we can call you brother. And see, this is the problem. This, this is where things get very interesting. And there's a truth that comes out of this that, that I want us to to really understand in verse two it says and after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them what they're saying is that there was Paul and Barnabas questioned this their problem with these Gentiles coming to know Christ they had debate and dissension it says Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and to the elders about this question Paul and Barnabas take the gospel very seriously the gospel is always worth going to battle for. If you're taking notes, the gospel is always worth going to battle for. There's, there's an expression um, that I had never actually used. I'd never actually let it come out of my mouth until I got into ministry. And it's this expression that there, there are certain hills that aren't worth dying on. It's, it's kind of a military expression. There's certain, there's certain points in a military engagement that there's certain points and places that aren't worth expending life for. And so if you're on the battlefield and and there are multiple places that you're trying to take, you may say, well, this hill is very strategic, we need it, and it's worth the potential to lose lives to take it because of the strategy that's gonna be involved. We need this place. There are other places that aren't worth it. And so you move on, you live to fight another day. Guys, look at me, the gospel, both now 2,000 years ago and 2,000 years from now will always, always, always be worth fighting for. Always. There are gonna come certain debates and certain things that aren't worth it. They're gonna cause more harm than good. If you engage in this debate, you may win it, it, you may be right, but it may do more harm than good at the end of the day. But the gospel is always, Worth the battle. And Paul and Barnabas realize this and, and they, they hear these guys saying, Hey, look, it's good that you've led these people to Jesus, but we've got to add something to that. And Paul and Barnabas say, Wait a second, no. It's Jesus plus nothing, it's just Jesus. And so they go out of their way, they go to Jerusalem to meet with all of these people to have what's known as the Jerusalem Council, where they, they gather together to, to discuss this issue. And look at me, there are going to be a lot of things in your day as you're 14, 15, 16, 17 years old, as you're 40, 50, 60, or 70 years old. There are going to be a lot of issues to be debated. Some of them worth debating, some of them not worth it. But this will always be one that's worth talking about. It'll always be one that's worth engaging. Now, how you do it's important. But Paul and Barnabas go and they meet To have this conversation, and so there's the problem. The problem is that these guys want to add something to it. And why would they want to do that? Why would you want to add something to it? Why do you think they want to do that? They're just like, I don't have anything else to do. We'll we'll just make it harder. What's that? Yeah, there's a lot of it. Yeah, there's some control over it. Think about it. Have you ever been in a situation? Maybe you've been part of a group for a while right maybe you've been part of kind of like a, a group of friends and then suddenly there's the new person and they just they just hop right in They're like hey I'm I'm friends now and they basically they, they get into the group and they're like it's like they've always been there but like, you know that like you've invested time and energy y'all have been friends for years and then suddenly there's this new person <coughs> and, and, and there's and there's a, a little bit of hostility there's a little bit of animosity even if you don't say anything out loud there's still a little bit of resentment to say hey we, we've been doing this thing for like years and then this person just kind of waltzes in Look, Let me be honest with you. I, I see this as a youth pastor I see it where all of a sudden it's a new guy or a new girl and you've been friends with these people for a while And then all of a sudden new guy starts dating the girl that's been here forever And you're like bro, where did this dude come from? I've been hanging out for five years been friend-zoned for four and a half of them And this dude just walks in and all of a sudden she likes him All right, same thing happens with the girl. Oh, who's the new girl? All right, all, all the boys like the new girl We've been, we've been hanging out with these dudes, watching them play basketball and putting up with their dumb jokes and going to Chick-fil-A with them every Wednesday night after youth for like the last decade and all of a sudden New Girl walks in and it's like three weeks later, right? This happens. And there's always a little bit of resentment. Like you gotta earn your place in this group. That's human nature, right? It's human nature that, that we're always a little distrusting. We're always, we want people to prove themselves to us. Right, Because we've got a history together. And that's what happens here. These guys say, look, didn't God choose us, the Jews? He chose us. We've had to circumcise all of our males for the last 2,000 years. These dudes are just going to walk in and be like, I believe in Jesus, and all of a sudden they get the same heaven that we get? Nah, y'all got to get circumcised too. That's what happens here. Y'all got to earn it. We've been trying to keep the law. The Ten Commandments, we've been trying to keep those for years. Beyond the Ten Commandments, there's certain foods we can't eat. We can't get tattoos. We can't grow our hair a certain length. We can't shave our beard a certain way. We can't trim our sideburns. Our our women can't uh, adorn themselves with fancy jewelry. they got to keep their head covered. It's crazy. And they're just going to walk in off the street, these bunch of Gentiles, and they're going to say, oh, I believe in Jesus, and they're in. That's what happens here. I say no, y'all got to do a little something here. There's got to be something more. And so that's the problem. Now suddenly we have these people who have come to Jesus. They've laid down their lives in radical surrender the same way that these other people have. And they they just want Jesus. And this group of, of Jewish believers, rather than saying, welcome to our family, They say, cool, but wait, there's some more stuff you got to do. It's a matter of pride. It's a matter of ego. It's a matter of, hey, I've had to do all of this stuff. I've had to do all this stuff. And you think you just get in here on this free grace pass. What they forget, though, is that it's not the circumcision It's not the keeping of the law that has merited their grace. It's the fact that Jesus died. So the problem is they start thinking, oh, I've done this and I've done that. Well, they hadn't done jack squat except earn eternal punishment by their sin. It's the thing that makes them the same as the new Gentile believers. So the problem arises from pride, but it becomes disunity, Because, see, now they're all believers, which means they are all the church. Except one group says, no, you're not part of the church yet because you got to do this in order to be part of us. And so rather than welcoming, welcoming them in unity, they cause disunity or fracturing because of their pride, because of their ego, because of their selfishness. So that's where we are with the problem. But there's a solution. Let's continue having cleansed their hearts by faith. What kind of distinction does it say he made between Gentiles and Jews? None. Verse 10, Now therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus just as they will. And all of the assembly fell silent, and they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. And after they finished speaking, James replied, Brothers, listen to me. Simeon, being Peter, has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written. And he quotes uh, chapter, uh, Amos chapter 9. Prophet Amos, this is what he quotes. After this, I will return, and I will re- rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins, and I will restore it, that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord. And all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from old. Therefore, verse 19 My judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols, and from sexual immorality, and from what has been strangled. And from blood. For from ancient generations, Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he is uh, read every Sabbath in the synagogues. And so, what happens is there's this problem, right? But now we have the solution. And so, Peter stands up and he basically says, Hey, just to let y'all know, God Himself spoke to me and told me to go and to preach the message of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles. So it's not something I heard from somebody else. It's something that God told me, and from my very mouth, God spoke to the Gentiles and called them to be saved. You remember Acts chapter 2. Peter preaches at a a, a thing called Pentecost, and thousands of people come to know Jesus. The Holy Spirit moves, and it's when all these people who speak different languages suddenly, uh, supernaturally, are able to hear the message of Peter, one man, in their own native language. Thousands of people come, and it's really the beginning of the church, Acts chapter 2. Peter says, that that was God speaking through me. And we believe that God has offered grace, the same grace that's found only through Jesus Christ to all people, Jew and Gentile alike. And my favorite part of this is it said, the crowd fell silent. Because they knew there was nothing they could say. They knew suddenly through the boldness of Peter, that adding extra requirements was against everything that God had commanded them to do. And it says, and Paul and Barnabas got up and and they shared stories of how God had moved in the lives of the Gentiles they had been preaching to. And this, guys, I believe, is really the key to understanding unity. Number one, the, I would say that uh, the, the best way to, to unify the church is by practicing grace. I, I would say that, that pride is the root cause of disunity. Pride is what always leads us to be disunified or not unified in the church. That's the first part that we looked at. But the solution to that, to combat disunity, is always grace. It's always a healthy perspective on the fact that you needed and received grace through Jesus and so that you've been called to pour out an abundant amount of grace and mercy on other people. You see, when we're gracious to other people, right, when we pour out grace on other people, it humbles, it naturally has to humble us because we have compassion and we care for other people. And so suddenly our differences begin to be minimized and we begin to be built together as one. But what I think what I think we need to understand as the church, I've seen this happen so many times, is that it's very easy for us to look at another group of people or another person whom we don't know and just they become just a statistic or just a group of people. They're just, they're just a bunch of Kenyans, right? Or they're just a bunch of Mexicans or they're just a bunch of Hispanics, or they're just a bunch of Norwegians. I'm just looking at a map. Trying, to, They're a bunch of Indians. They're a bunch of, um, of Koreans. And even in our minds, we differentiate, oh, they're a bunch of North Koreans, or they're a bunch of South Koreans. They're just, they're just people groups on a map. And They're either colored uh, green on the map, or they're, or they're purple, or they're just some shaded-in area on a map somewhere. Or they're just some t- statistic on the bottom of CNN or Fox News or whatever. But... But get to know a few Koreans, get to know a few Indians, get to hear the story of an Iranian, get to hear the story of a Mexican or a Honduran or an El Salvadorian or a a Frenchman or whatever, and suddenly they're not just a group of people, but they're this guy that I met who had this story, or they're this lady that I met who has this story, or it's this family who has this story. And suddenly we don't think about people in terms of us and them. They become real people created in the image of God with real stories. Positive and negative. Tragedy and triumph. And that's what Paul and Barnabas do here. They get up in front of these guys who say, cool that you got Jesus, but get circumcised and then come back and see me. And we'll talk about being part of the church. And Paul and Barnabas get up and they say, wait a second. Y'all have been sitting here in the synagogue, talking about how these people need to get circumcised, while we've been out on the front lines meeting people. We've traveled the known world, proclaiming the message of Jesus Christ and the hope that only he brings, and we've met people. Like, hey dude, you remember that centurion? What was his name? You remember the centurion who, who, he gave his life to Christ? And if Philip was there, he'd be like, guys, I was on the road, and I met this, this Ethiopian guy. He worked, for the, he worked for the queen of Ethiopia. He didn't look like me. He didn't talk like me. He didn't come from where I came from, but I shared Christ with him. I led him to Jesus, and then I baptized him. These guys have been out to their Jerusalem, their Judea, their Samaria, and to even at this point to the very ends of the earth, and they've met people. They've cried with people. They've been rejected by people. They've eaten with people. They've shared Christ with people. They've baptized people. They've stayed at people's houses because they didn't have anywhere else to stay. But the point is they've gotten to know people and understand people. And guys, look at me. This This is so much of a problem with the church today as a whole and with our country and with our globe is that we don't care enough to get to know somebody and learn their story We just want to lump people together or just say, that guy over there, that group of people over there, that person across the classroom or this person on on the soccer team, but we don't know them. Look at me. I will make a guarantee with you. If you take time in your life to get to know other people from different places who speak different languages, who believe different things than you do, that come from different home lives than you, you will fall in love with people. Not every person that you meet is going to have the coolest story and you're not going to be best friends with them. They may not always be easy to love. But I guarantee you that if you take time and and die to self, like Jesus calls us to do in Luke chapter 9, you die to self, humble yourself enough to say, I want to get to know these people. I want to get to know that person. I want to take time to listen to their story. I want to take time to have a conversation with them. I want to take time to just stop and, and read something about this country. Hey, there's a lot of stuff going on in Syria, and there's ISIS, and then there's this place called Turkey. What if for a second I said, oh, well, let me get to know something about Turkey, or let me get to know something about Syria? What, what is the deal with North Korea? There's some little short dude with a bad haircut that's got missiles over there. Let me, let me learn something about North Korea. What's going on? What's this Venezuela place? What is, what, is, what is that all? Let me get to know something about Venezuela. Let me get to know something about Haiti. Let me get to know something uh, about Libya. Well, there's these there's these people in my own in my school that I don't even know. Let me let me get to know something about them. And then suddenly, what's gonna happen? I promise you, this is what's gonna happen. It's gonna be crazy. You're gonna learn that you've got some things in common. And the most important thing, look at me that you have in common, is that you were created in the image of Christ, just like that person was created in the image of Christ, and that Christ whose image you're created in died for you and died for them. Common. And suddenly, it doesn't matter how great their story is, how tragic their story is. There's going to be this connection, and it's going to be supernatural because that's the way God intended it. And suddenly, you're going to have a heart for these people. And you're not going to agree with everything they say. You're not going to agree with everything they believe. But what's going to happen is you're going to have a burden for them because you're going to begin to value them as human beings. And you're going to begin to value them as people who either need encouragement in Jesus Christ because they're already a believer or you're going to have a burden to share Jesus Christ with them because you know they're not a believer. And it's going to radically change the way you interact and engage with people. That's what happens here with Paul and Barnabas and Peter. You see the difference? These are guys that have been out there meeting people. And then there's a bunch of old dudes sitting in the back of an old rundown synagogue who say, they can come if they want to, but they ain't ain't believers until they get circumcised. Paul and Barnabas say, brothers, I was there when the Holy Spirit fell on this guy. I I was there because I was the one baptizing him in the water while you're sitting here judging whether or not this person new Jesus you want to be unified get to know people if you get to know people I promise the grace is gonna be easier because suddenly you're gonna realize that that real people have real stories real problems real struggles real gifts real talents just like you do and it's gonna be a game changer for you but it's gonna be a game changer for the kingdom and for the church if, if individuals, if seventh graders, eighth graders, ninth graders, 10th graders, graders, 11th graders, 12th graders, college students, and adults, if we all just decide we're just gonna love people, we're just gonna get to know people and love people and be gracious, point them to Jesus, speak the truth to them, yeah. But you can't speak the truth to people from, from across the world yelling at, at why they're wrong and you're right. Nobody's ever gonna listen to that garbage. What they will listen to is when you get to know them and you die to self. And you practice grace and mercy. You say, I love you, and that's why I'm telling you the truth. That's what Paul and Barnabas do here. I don't know that we really have uh, time to get into Amos 9, but it's a beautiful prophecy. I've been teaching through the book of Daniel on Sunday nights. I just finished it last week. And the first half of Daniel is really cool. His narrative is talking about how Daniel is kind of living behind enemy lines in Babylon. He's cut off from everyone else other than Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that we know of. And he's living out his faith very boldly in a very lost world. The second half of Daniel, though, is prophecy. It's God revealing through visions that he gives to Daniel what is going to happen in the very near future after Daniel with the rise of the Medo-Persian Empire, the rise of the Grecian Empire under Alexander the Great, and the rise of the Roman Empire. And he gives very specific details about what's coming, hundreds and thousands of years before it happens, and it's beautiful to see it happen. But then he also gives what's called eschatological prophecy, the end times prophecy, that's going to be fulfilled in Revelation. And let me tell you what's exciting about that is that you see, you go back and you look at the second half of Daniel, uh, the, the book of Daniel, from Daniel 7 on to the end of it. Daniel 7 through Daniel chapter 12. And you see that that all this stuff that God prophesied through Daniel comes true. Very specific things. And the same is true in Amos. Amos, the prophet Amos, speaks on behalf of God almost a thousand years before Jesus is born. Almost a thousand years. And God is already saying Israel is going to be broken, it's going to be laid to waste. But I'm going to come back and I'm going to make them whole again. And then he says in Amos chapter 9, the Edomites, who are the descendants of Esau. Remember, God loved Jacob and he hated Esau. They were twins. God chose Jacob, did not choose Esau. But he says in Amos 9, he says, even though Esau I have hated, I am going to allow the Edomites, the descendants of Esau, the Gentiles, I'm going to bring them back into the fold. Hundreds, if not a thousand years before this happens, God says, I'm going to give grace and mercy to both Jew and Gentile. And it's going to be this beautiful picture of me scooping up an undeserved people. People that don't love me. People that don't obey me. And I'm going to give them grace and mercy. And he did that for you. He did it for me. He did it for Jew. He did it for Gentile. So my challenge and my encouragement tonight is I'm going to wrap up and pray praying the band's going to come lead us in a song. Would you practice grace in your life? Guys, look at me. God has poured out an extravagant gift of grace on you. Grace that, oh, by the way, you don't deserve. That's, in fact, that's the very definition of grace, is being given something that you don't deserve. I don't deserve it. Not even close. And there's nothing I can do in a thousand lifetimes to earn it. And yet God saw fit to send his son to die in your place, even though you are the one that deserved his die. I deserved to die. And with that in your mind, how can we not help Pour out grace and mercy on other people who are in the same predicament that we were once in. Let me pray for you. Father, we come before you, God, a broken, broken, messed up, flawed group of people. God, I'll just speak for myself. God, I am so full of sin. God, I could never live up to your law Never live up to your desires or your standards for me. God, yet thankfully, God, for whatever reason, you chose to send your son to die in my place, to pay the ultimate penalty for me. God, I pray that there's anybody in this room, God, who has never accepted your free gift of grace, God, that right now would be the time. God, that tonight, before they go home or before they go to bed, they would come see me, they would text me, they would call me, whatever, and they would say, hey, I need to know I didn't even know what it looks like to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm in desperate need of him. My life's falling apart. I'm, I'm way off track and I, I just need something. I pray that they would talk to me. God, for the rest of us, God, who have already embraced your mercy and your grace, God, I pray that we would offer that grace and mercy to other people. God, it's not always gonna be easy. In fact, no one in here is easy to love all the time. Yet people have loved us, invested in us, valued us, been gracious to us, God. And I pray that we would do that in return. God, so that by our love, by our grace, our selflessness, God, other people would come to know you. God, we would welcome them in. God, we would seek to grow your kingdom, God, because we love you and because we love people. Because you created people, created us in your very image. God, I pray all these things in your name. Y'all staying and sing the song.